to the Piracy Impact Podcast. I'm Michael Goff. And I'm Jason Swan. Jason, season two, how'd we get here so quickly? It's gone pretty well, right? I mean, people want to talk piracy, and, and we're here to hear the stories. So we've had some good responses to the first season. Um, we're going to be rolling out these episodes, you know, once every week or a couple of weeks. You know, we've got some that you've recorded. You were recently in Paris. I noticed you take me to Connecticut, but you don't take me to Paris. What's up with that? Yeah, so much like season one, we had an opportunity to get a lot of people together. This time it was in Paris. You didn't, you didn't pass the budget cuts of Piracy Impact, so we need more listeners out there. Sounds good to me. But yeah, we had a chance to sit down with um, a handful of folks that I think people are going to be um, very interested to hear their stories. In this episode, you spoke with Borja Suarez from Law 21, right? Yep. Yeah, Borja and, and I go way back. I've known him for a, a number of years. We've worked together. We've hung out together in different places around the world, even with our families. And he's a um, very educated uh, Spanish-speaking lawyer, does a lot of work in South America, Latin America, of course, in Spain. And uh, he gives some really nice insights on, you know, settlements that are collaborative on both sides. He talks a lot about um, how to do deals, uh, how to communicate with not only infringers, but with software vendors and anybody involved in the cases. And he tells a really, really funny story uh, from his experiences as well. Great. Looking forward to hearing it. I'm in beautiful Paris, France this afternoon with a special guest, Borja Suarez from Law 21. Borja, how are you, my friend? Fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Good to have you on the show today. Why don't you just start giving us a little bit of background uh, on how you got into the law profession, a little bit about Law 21 and the territories that you cover. Well, I've been a lawyer for uh, now over 25 years. I think um, for whatever reason, I was quite positive uh, from very young that I, I want to be a lawyer. And uh, I was also quite attracted by technology. So from the mid-90s, I started um, uh, being interested in, in the technology and law and uh, also have a master's degree that includes information technology that in, in the mid-90s was not that common. And uh, from there, I also uh, I started working with um, software manufacturers and um, other uh, copyright owners, especially in, in digital environments. And I've been working with uh, for different software manufacturers for the last maybe uh, 13, 14 years in, uh, in compliance and for enforcement in, in different uh, uh, ways. Yeah, so you and I have known each other for seven years or so now, worked on a lot of cases together, and you've covered a lot of geography. Uh, you know, you're based in Madrid, Spain, but you've covered the majority of Central, Western, Northern Europe for many, many years, but also specialized down in Latin and South America. Can you give us a little sense of you know, the difference when working on cases in kind of mainland Europe versus Latin America or South America? Um, yeah, well, um, w w there are also quite different in, in Europe from South and North, but <laughs> probably even, even uh, LATAM is, is uh, more um, complicated. First, um, they have their own way of... Um, of conducting business, so um, if uh, you are too ag aggressive from the uh, from the start, uh, it will be very difficult to to advance. You really need to to understand uh, each country's um, 
particularities uh, and uh, to try to really engage in a meaningful conversation about business. Uh, some uh, and some places they are. Mm, uh, it's very, very complicated to really uh, succeed because they, they don't have a very strong culture of paying for intellectual property, mm -hmm. as Bolivia, for instance. But there are other countries where, uh, like uh, Chile or, or Argentina, where um, they can, in Argentina, have a struggle with uh, uh, economic uh, situation, but uh, they are quite um, knowledgeable and quite used, and they're probably uh, quite close to to what uh, uh, any European or North American will think about. In, in Mexico, they're also quite away because they have a strong relationship with the states. And in all these countries, uh, usefully, uh, they have a very important economic relationship with the states and they can be, uh, their uh, commercial relations can be impacted for not complying with um, the uh, copyright law of, of the United States, even though if you can think that what that's nothing to do with the U.S. copyright law in Mexico or in uh, uh, Colombia. But maybe some of their customers and large OEMs that they're working with are driving sort of that compliant behavior downstream. Yes. Uh, also, the, uh, there are some uh, uh, anti-competitive uh, laws in the states that may apply to them, not in their own country, but as, as they provide service or goods to American companies. And that's also, uh, you, you need to be aware of that, and you, you can try to use that to convince them that uh, there is uh, uh, something that uh, can real is important for the business. It's not just... Uh, the law is not just uh, copyright law and, and, and the rightful owner of those rights, but also is important for the business. And when you manage to do that, I think it's much easier to try to, to, to find uh, a solution and to, to have an agreement because they realize that uh, it's good for the business. Sure. So talk to me a little bit and to our listeners about you know, how you have engaged through the years you know, if it's cultural differences in, in different parts of the world, um, certainly highlight that. But what is your method of um, engagement to successfully getting a settlement without a lot of uh, fanfare? I think that the basics are more or less the same. Then you, you, you need to adjust. But the, the basics, first, um, you need to have a, the best knowledge you can have for the infringing company. Uh, the size, what they do. Uh, without that, uh, you will be in, 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 in not very good position to to, um, to talk to them and to find what can um, what can push them to 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 really uh, be willing to 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 settle to to find a solution. Uh, then we 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 start with uh, um, uh, communications uh, being. Uh, very clear that it, this is about uh, compliance. There is a compliance issue about <clears throat> some misuse of uh, intellectual property of our clients. And uh, we try to drive things into find a reasonable solution and to uh, make them understand that it has to be reasonable for, for both parties. And just not to get uh, in the uh, arguments that usually come every time about 
if uh, this uh, they they use it a lot or a little if it was uh, they didn't profit about it there there's some situations that come always around if you uh, get trapped in arguing that you're not going to really go ahead in the process and you're not going to uh, be able to 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 close a reasonable uh, solution a reasonable agreement and as a lawyer do you prefer to work with you know business leaders in the company or would you prefer to have legal representation from the infringer? Does that help or hurt cases? Mm, good question. Uh, because um, I think that with um, small companies, uh, sometimes uh, it gets personal. What you're talking with the CEO and uh, well, even if you try to, of course, make it very uh, not personal at all, and there is not uh, you, you are not accusing of anything, and you will say that uh, okay, that you're convinced that uh, the company was not uh, allowing or sanctioning the, the, the use of legal software, even if you think that they, they were. Uh, sometimes it gets personal. I mean, this uh, their own company, they build it, they have been working with that for years, and and in that case, it definitely is better to have a, a lawyer that uh, is going to just have a cold mind and try to find the best uh, solution for his client. Uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, especially in big firms, uh, in big companies, when there are, there are different departments involved, it just takes much longer. If you have to, or, or if it's an external law firm, you have to talk to the law firm, the law firm has to consult with the client, the client goes back, sometimes things get lost in translation. and. So every, each uh, situation has its uh, pros and its cons. But from your perspective, it's really just about engaging unemotional executive type level discussions. Is that the best path to a settlement? I would say that uh, normally, yes. It's, uh, well, uh, emotional and business, uh, what is better for the, for the business. Of course, it's um, they they need to understand that uh, what uh, has happened, uh, of course, is is wrong in the sense that uh, that's the intellectual property of a company that make their living on actually creating that, and that's very important for any software manufacturer, of course. And uh, but also they, they they need to understand that uh, a good agreement is uh, also good from a business perspective for them trying to look forward uh, not trying to get trapped in uh, back maintenance back use things like that that sometimes are useful and definitely for for uh, bargain purposes are, are, are useful but trying to focus uh, forward on well okay uh, you're going to uh, get this software that it's going to uh, with the, the right support with the right safety and that's going to definitely going to help your business because you were using it so you already decided that's the best <laughs> software for your business exactly <laughs> funny you know what would be your best advice i mean there's lots of software manufacturers you know in the marketplace today a lot of very popular technologies that of course we see a lot of the um, bad behavior and cracking those technologies and downloading those technologies. And really what we've always focused on is the um, monetization of you know, the value-based um, theft that happens in the marketplace or so commercial businesses that are you know, making money from stolen software. You know, when, when talking to prospective clients of yours or even current clients of yours, 
you know, what advice do you give them on, you know, ways to win in the marketplace? And I ask that because, you know, lots of these software vendors have different engagement models and all that geography that you cover. There's a heavy channel, um, you know, reseller marketplace out there, which, um, you know, has pros and cons. Um, there's certainly direct salespeople involved in some of those territories. A lot of these customers have been doing business in these countries for many, many years. And there's always a fear that there could be some, um, you know, issues in the territory or counter lawsuits or public relations issues that, you know, we consistently hear and some believe they're myths and some don't. You know, what advice would you give a prospective client on how to win in those geographies with those different examples? I think that uh, definitely they, they shouldn't be afraid of uh, protecting their own intellectual property. Uh, first, I have many conversations with um, infringing companies that uh, while well, once everything has been solved and they really um, manage, we, we, we manage to have a, a reasonable agreement, they really uh, tell us like, okay, but what you do is important for us also because you have to chase the other guys that they are not paying the software because it's an unfair situation that uh, Sometimes, let's say that it's not a company that, uh, let's say, they over-deploy. So they were already paying, mm -hmm. and they're competing with guys that are paying nothing. So it's not that clear that uh, the current clients will not be happy uh, to have someone say, okay, I will also help him to level the playing field so you're not getting competition from all the guys that they are not paying the software. Uh, second thing, I haven't... I have seen very, very few cases, not anyone myself, but in the business of companies uh, uh, suing, the uh, infringing companies suing the software manufacturer. It had happened, but it's uh, really, really odd. I mean, it, it's happened very, very few times. And uh, probably we can think about why uh, that had happened in those cases. Mm -hmm. Maybe... Uh, the software manufacturer has not done the things the best way. So uh, I think that I will advise to have um, a firm stand, but also in um, conducting the business uh, properly. So not being uh, to, uh, let's say, I don't know, I can't find a better word, but not bully a small uh, company just because you're a very big uh, Yeah, try to take advantage of the situation. Mm -hmm. But if you uh, do it right, I think that uh, um, it's also quite, uh, and, uh, nobody can really um, be uh, um, annoyed or, or be unhappy about that because at the end of the day, a software company uh, relies on intellectual property. If um, if not, they just have to close and forget and do something else. Sure, sure. So copyright protection, a strong EULA, some language on the website. You know, if all of the um, due diligence has been done from a software manufacturer's mm -hmm. point of view, you know, then the engagement generally goes smoother. Yes, definitely. Having all the tools uh, that are already uh, on on the on the legal part of the of the client of the software manufacturer is very important for us. A clear EULA, uh, if, if possible, a EULA that mentioned uh, that they could be 
um, some um, verification or tracking technology within the software, things that really put uh, everything in um, clear um, and that definitely helps a lot because uh, if um, if the client really uh, from the very beginning wants to, to solve it, it's not that important. But either one, there is a very big uh, amount of money involved or a very complicated customer, really lawyers are going to look uh, to every loophole they can find in order to, <laughs> to get out the hook. So it's very important to have, uh, or for us, it, it helps a lot to have that uh, job done properly by the software manufacturer. Close all those loopholes, absolutely. <laughs> all your years of doing this, any stories you'd like to share of uh, egregious infringers <laughs> or you know something funny that you've, you've seen in the marketplace? I think uh, it was a, a funny story. Uh, it was an infringing company, I think it was Ecuador. And there was an, an agreement. It was not a lot of uh, money involved. It was uh, not, not a big uh, sum there. Uh, but uh, the guys would say that they were going to go to the software manufacturer headquarters in Alabama. Really, we didn't uh, thought that was uh, that was for real. We, <laughs> we thought they were buying some time. And actually, uh, uh, VIP of this company uh, shows up in the headquarters of the software manufacturer asking for the legal department to sign the agreement. <laughs> okay, we have already, oh, the agreement was, um, all the language, all, everything was uh, agreed and was closed, but in Spanish. And the people of the legal department in Alabama didn't speak any Spanish at all. So we have a guy waiting in the lobby uh, that had to go from uh, Ecuador to Alabama to sign a, uh, an agreement. And uh, nobody really uh, in the position to sign it because they were not knowing. Um, I remember this case. So, you know, you're an Ecuadorian executive flying to the States in Alabama, just making an assumption that everybody will speak Spanish at the firm, uh, didn't reach out to make sure somebody from legal would be prepared for yeah. their visit. Somebody shows up in the lobby and says, I'm just looking for a signature. I want to finalize this settlement. <laughs> I think it was somewhere in the 50K range, if, yeah. if memory serves. Why do you think they showed up? I have no idea because it doesn't make any sense. The only thing that if it, it being reasonable i don't know maybe this guy has all the reasons to to go to the states i, I don't know maybe personal reasons to a go. little vacation to alabama <laughs> or i don't know <laughs> i don't think there's a direct flight so maybe he went through miami or something like that and Probably. went to spend a few days there if not the only thing is that well there was some complex thing because they want to be invoiced in panama and something like that maybe he wants to be he was over about that be 100 percent sure but doesn't really make a lot of sense because what they sign is what we already agree and he has accepted and his lawyer has said okay. So yeah. I don't know. Probably he wants to. The good news is it all worked out. <laughs> yes. Right? It, we get a signature. Yes, we get the settlement uh, done. They, um, the, the agreement was uh, very quickly translated into English. It was signed and everybody was happy. And uh, I guess this guy went to Miami to have his uh, holidays. The holidays, yes. I mean, most of these cases go relatively smooth, but in all the years of doing this, you, know, you, you see everything, you hear everything eventually. And this is certainly one of those cases. 
So I want to thank you, Borja, for taking the time to speak with us today. I appreciate your insights. It was my pleasure being here. This has been episode number eight of the Piracy Impact podcast from Revulitics with your hosts, Jason Swan and me, Michael Goff. Special thanks to Borja Suarez of Law21 for joining us, and thank you for listening. We appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. Adding a rating and review helps other software license compliance professionals find our podcast. You can also continue the conversation on social media. Please follow us on Twitter, at Revulitics, and share your comments and questions with hashtag PiracyImpact. You can also learn more about Revulitics and how we've supported customers' compliance programs generate more than $2.4 billion in new license revenues since 2010 at www.revulitics.com. 